Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. This life can put a lot of demands on us to perform and succeed in business, education, athletics, and even at home. Have you ever wondered, though, what God's definition of success is? What does He want from you? The answer to these questions could be slightly different for each one of us, but there are some foundational elements that are the same for everyone. In our new series, Becoming God's Best for You, we'll explore what it is that God really wants for us individually and how you can become the best version of you as God desires. We believe He wants to speak to you today, so sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Uh, take your Bible and turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll be in verse 9 uh, down through verse 21 uh, this morning. You can tell vacation time is hit. Uh, so next time the people are back, tell them you are mad at them uh, because they, uh, they were gone on vacation. But um, uh, anyway, uh, we're still in this series that we've entitled uh, Becoming God's Best for You. And that's what God wants. He wants His best for our lives. He wants us to become uh, His best for our lives. And we've covered a lot of different topics uh, to this point in the series. Today, we're going to talk about this. God's best is found through serving Him and others. Found through serving Him and others. Um, I, I would find it hard to accept that Jesus suffered for us bled on the cross, paying fully for our sins, for us just to, on the other side of trust in Him, live our lives however we want to. Wouldn't you think that would be a stretch? That He did that much for us, and then it's okay for us just to live however we want to. And instead of serving Him, and instead of trying to engage other people and, and, and serve uh, others. So we're going to walk through uh, these verses this morning. And as we do so, I want you to notice about uh, four main themes uh, that we're going to focus upon. Before we do that, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the chance we have to uh, get together and corporately worship, to look into your word that you have preserved for us so we can uh, read it and it can uh, be applied to our lives. Uh, Father, we recognize you paid a great price for us by putting your son on the cross. So I, I pray right now with clarity, you would speak to us about uh, serving you more, serving you better, and uh, in reaching others for you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here, here's the first theme of the four themes we're going to look at this morning. In, in verse 9 through 11, the first part of verse 11, I find some extreme motivations for serving God and others. Some things here that ought to extremely motivate us to actually serve God, and to try and reach others. Look at, at those verses, verse 9 through the first part of verse 11. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others." I want you to notice about four main motivations that's found in those verses we just read. Here's the first one, the motivation of pleasing Christ, the motivation of pleasing Christ. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, so whether we're at home or away. In the first part of chapter 5, he was talking about our heavenly home more or less. And yet, 
the fact that we're going to heaven, guys, needs to be more than just all of our focus in our life. In other words, we, we shouldn't sit back and say, well, I'm going to heaven one day, so I'll please God then. We ought to have it our goal to please him now. Paul is saying whether I'm at home, in other words, whether uh, I'm at home here in the body or whether I'm away, meaning to be present with the Lord, he, he's saying it is my aim to please him. Now, the, the word that he uses for please there means this. It means to do what is fully agreeable. Uh, the root word means to do what is fit. So as, as believers, we ought to have this desire. We ought to be motivated to please Christ. If we think about all that he's done for us, if we think about how he shed his blood on the cross for us and all the cross he's done, our motivation should be to please him, should it not? The, the root word where I said it meant to be fit or do what is fit, there, there is a fit way for us to live our lives. There's a way for us to live our lives that is fit to represent in who we are as Christians. You and I ought to have a goal in our lives, not just one day in heaven. We ought to have a goal right now to where we have an extreme motivation to do what would fully be fully agreeable or fit or please the Lord. Second motivation in this passage I want you to see is this, the motivation of the judgment seat of Christ. The motivation of the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So guys, we ought to have this as an extreme motivation for serving God right now, is because there's this judgment that's on the way that's called the judgment seat of Christ. I think maybe we don't talk enough about this in church. <laughs> Because a lot of people, when you think about judgment, you're thinking about the great white throne judgment. That's not what we're talking about here. You will never be judged. If you know Christ is your Savior, you will never be, can never be judged for your sin. And here's why. Jesus paid for your sin. You're not going to appear before a great white throne judgment and be judged as a sinner. But this passage of scripture teaches us and others that that we will one day every believer one day will appear we will stand before christ and we're going to give an account for our works we're going to give an account for what we've done whether it's something that was good which means beneficial or something that was evil that's not talking about sin it's talking about something that was worthless something that will not last for all eternity we're going to have to stand and appear before him now now, the word appear <laughs> makes this a little bit more serious than what you might want it to be. Because you might think, well, all right, uh, one day when I stand before him, I'll, I'll just kind of come there and I'll stand there for a moment and I'll get my reward and, and then all, all that's over with. That's not quite what the word means. The word means to fully reveal. And the root word that's built on the Greek means a shining. So here's what I think that gives a picture of. One day we will have to stand, all of us as individuals, before the judgment seat of Christ. And his glory will shine in such a way that, we're, that will reveal the way we've lived our lives. Whether we've used our opportunities for him as we should. Whether we've used our talents for him as we should. Whether or not we have served him as we should. It will be a time of our works being judged in order that the reward might be dispensed out. And some people may not have much of a reward. 
Because the Bible also talks about this. We can have a, a, a reward that lasts, receive reward, but you can have a loss of reward too in that day. And here's why. Look at this passage of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds, and here's kind of using an illustration, if anyone is serving God in such a way that you're building on the foundation that's Jesus, if anyone builds on that foundation, which is Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, the illustration is this. Something that is made of the correct material that he mentioned there, like precious jewels you know, and, and things will stand the test of fire. What happens if you put wood or hay or straw to fire? It's gone. <laughs> so he, he goes on and said, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, talking about the day of the judgment seat of Christ, will disclose it. God's glory will shine upon our lives and it will be completely revealed how we've lived our lives as believers. Because it will be revealed by fire. What sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss. Now notice this, not loss of your salvation, because it says, though he himself will be saved, but only as though by fire. In other words, it's like you got in by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> and not the skin of your teeth, not based upon your performance. You had trusted Christ as your Savior. But what he's talking about here is this, guys. There, there is a time, a day, that you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I will have to give an account for how I use my time, my talents, my abilities, whether my works were beneficial or whether my works were worthless. And, and, and I don't think that's going to be a cakewalk to you. I don't think that's going to be fun to stand before the Lord and have everything revealed like that. It's not whether you're saved or not. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Jesus took your judgment for your sin when he died on the cross. But as believers, there's coming a time that our works will be judged. And we need to ask ourselves, have we done anything to serve the Lord? Have we done anything to serve others for the Lord? Will we have anything left after we stand before that judgment is a question we ought to have. We ought to be motivated by the judgment seat of Christ to serve him. Third motivation we can find in the verses that we're looking at, down through verse number 11, is the motivation of the fear of the Lord. Look at the first part of verse 11. Therefore, knowing, and he literally means knowing experientially, knowing the fear of the Lord. We ought to be motivated to serve him because of kind of a terror of the Lord, a fear of the Lord. We, we ought to stand in awe of who God is. We ought to be motivated to serve him because of the fear of the Lord. He, here's the problem in our day, though. <laughs> Look at our culture that we live in. Do you see much fear of God in people's lives? Do you see much fear of God in our culture? I, I'll even go beyond that. Do we even see much of the fear of God in our churches? Because, guys, if we have the health or respect of who God is, God, God is this. The Bible clearly tells us that God is this. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And with God being holy, 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 we ought to stand in awe of him. We ought to be motivated by a fear of him. We ought to be motivated by the judgment seat I just talked about. We ought to be motivated that the lost people fear eternal separation from God. And we ought to be motivated and fear God and, and serve him. The fourth motivation I want you to see is this, the motivation of persuading others. The, the middle part of verse number 11, after he said, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we 
persuade others. Here Paul is telling us what he was motivated to do. Paul was motivated to use his life to persuade other people to trust Jesus. He was motivated to share the gospel with others. And he's also given us a huge hint what we ought to be about in our lives. We should be persuading others in light of the fear of the Lord, in light of the judgment seat of Christ, in light of our desire to do what is pleasing to God. You and I ought to be persuading other people to trust in Christ. Though the word means to convince them, it means to, to, to lead them to the point that they assent to the evidence of the gospel, to the authority of the gospel, to where they rely upon Christ for their salvation. That, that's a motive that we ought to have. Our, our motive ought to be to change other people's lives by persuading them to trust in Christ. And, and guys, those are four extreme motivations that I think ought to be affecting our lives. The second main theme in this passage of Scripture is this. There needs to be a control in love that's operating in our lives for serving God and for serving others. Paul's going to say he was controlled, he was constrained by the love of Christ. Let me read verses up to that point, but the last part of verse number 11 says, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. More or less what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying, God knows my motives. Talking about Paul himself. God knows my motives. And he's writing to these Corinthian believers, and he's saying, you ought to know my motives from knowing you. And then he goes on and says, we're not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. There was a problem in the Corinth church about outward things, so the importance of outward things and the outward appearance. And Paul's saying that's wrong. It ought to be about what's in the heart. And then he says, if we're beside ourselves, in other words, Paul was even accused of being a little bit crazy because of all he would do for Jesus, the extent he would go to serving Jesus. So he was saying, if, if we're beside ourselves, if I'm acting a little bit crazy, it's because of God. It's because of all that God has done for me. That's why I'm doing that. And then he says, if, if I seem like I'm in my right mind, it's for you. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to communicate clearly to you. But the main thing I want you to see here is verse 14 and 15. And the Bible says this, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live, or those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Look at the motive that Paul said. He says there's this controlling love. He, he used the, the word there, controls or constrains, depending on the translation that you have. And the word means to hold together. It means to compress as though a crowd or a siege, like an army siege, was pressing in against you. It was used in the Greek to talk about arresting, being arrested as a prisoner. It was also used as a word uh, that means to pre preoccupy. So look at what that means and apply that to what Paul is saying just for a moment. But Paul is saying that his life was held together by the love of Christ. Paul is saying there that he was under siege by the love of Christ. It's like, it's like the love of Christ so had his life under siege that he had to respond to it. 
He, he also is saying here that, that he was a prisoner. It's like he had been so arrested by the love of Christ that he had to be preoccupied by the love of Christ. And here's why he was so preoccupied by the love of Christ. Because Christ so demonstrated his love by doing this. Here's what he said in those verses. One, talking about Christ, dying for all, so that through faith in Christ, those who are trusting in Christ as Savior are reckoned dead. Thus Paul was doing all that he could to serve Christ and others because of what Christ had done for him. And because Jesus died for all, those who trust in Christ, he said, should no longer live their lives for themselves, but they should live for Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. Now, now here's, here's what he's saying in those verses. He was so motivated by what Christ had done. Here's what Christ had done. One died for all. Jesus died for all of our sins. Jesus died for all of your sins. One died for all. But he took his life back up also. So the, he, Paul is saying this, and the Bible teaches this. Thus, I died with him. You died with him. But when Jesus took his life back up, those who have faith in Jesus, when you put faith in Jesus, guess what is also true? You were raised to life with him. Not to live the same way you used to live. That's why he went on and said, now that Christ has done this for you, quit living the way you used to live your life. Quit living it just for yourself. Instead, you ought to live it for the one who, for your sake, died and was raised again. That ought to be the motivation we have in serving. That ought to be the motivation we have in trying to reach others. Is that we have this control and love of Christ that he has displayed for us by shedding his blood on the cross. But serving God and others may cost us something, or it will cost us something. It's going to take self-denial on your behalf to do what Paul just wrote about. For you to no longer live your life for yourself. But to live it for him requires self-denial. Jesus said that when he said this. Look at this verse in Matthew. Then Jesus told his disciples, and that's who we're supposed to be still. I know he was talking to those initial disciples, because if you say you're a follower of Jesus, that's who you're supposed to be, a disciple. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if you're going to act like you're following me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In order for us not to live our lives for ourselves anymore, we have to deny that desire in our lives to just live for us. Instead, we need to deny ourselves. We need to take up our cross, whatever it's going to cost us, and we need to follow him. We need to follow Jesus in order for us to really serve him and to serve others the way, the way he calls us to. We need to be serving him and in serving others. There's a third theme I want you to see in this passage of Scripture this morning, and it's simply this. We need to have a correct view of others as we serve them for Jesus' sake. You and I need to have a correct view of others as we serve them for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 16 through 19. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying there was a time that he refused to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. There was a time that he just viewed him according to the flesh. 
and not recognize who he was. And then he goes on, and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. And I've got a parenthetical statement there because the, the Greek word on new creation means a, a regional formation. In other words, guys, you're restored. Your sin is dealt with. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, here's why I say that Paul is saying we need to have the correct view of others in light of what Christ did for them. I said this a moment ago, Paul is saying, hey, at one time, the way I view Jesus, Paul is saying the way I view Jesus was less than who he was. The way I view Jesus was just according to the flesh. As far as Paul was concerned to start with, he was just some Jewish man that grew up in the Middle East. He didn't accept him to be the Messiah. And then he had this life-changing experience on the road to Damascus, didn't he, where he met the living Savior. And all of a sudden, he experiences a huge change in his life. He even changed his name from Saul to Paul. And now he's not viewing Christ according to the flesh. He still, he views Christ now based upon who he really is. Now, here's the illustration there I think that Paul's given us. You and I need to stop viewing people just according to their flesh. You and I ought to view people according to the value that Jesus placed upon them by dying for them on the cross. You know what a huge problem is in, in, even in the church? We, we get on to people and we look down on people because of the way they are in the flesh. Well, guys, if it's a lost person, he, here's a newsflash. Lost people act like lost people. So instead of us judging them just according to the flesh, we need to view them at a higher level. We need to recognize no matter what that person's doing, no matter their, who they are in the flesh, no matter their race or their activity or anything else, no matter who they are, here's still the truth. Jesus died for them. Amen? And if Jesus died for them, we ought to have a different view of them instead of just looking at their flesh because Jesus died for them. That means... If they're that precious, you know what that also means? That means we ought to be doing something to redeem them, amen? To reclaim them for Jesus, if they were that precious. But especially without any argument about it, we ought to view those who know Christ as their Savior in that light. Our correct view of others should be in line with what Christ did for them. But guys, especially, especially if that person is now in Christ, if they trusted Christ as their Savior. Because if a person is in Christ, look what Paul said about them. They are a new creation in Christ. Their past is paid for and gone. They are a new person with Christ in their life, and God has reconciled them. God has mutually changed the situation of their lostness. He took his behalf of mutually changing the situation by putting his son on a cross. That person, when they believe in Jesus, has taken part in their mutual change of being reconciled to God by placing faith in Jesus. He has mutually changed them. He has reconciled them to himself through the cross of Jesus. Paul was reconciled to God through Christ, and now Paul has been given what he calls here the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying, I'm going to attend to as a servant. That's what the word means, the ministry of. Guys, that means you do something, doesn't it? 
To attend to as a servant, that means you are actively doing something. You don't just know about it. You're actively doing something. Paul's saying, I'm going to be fulfilling this ministry. I've been given this ministry of reconciliation to exchange, to bring about a, a divine restoration of favor to that person who is lost. So if we're talking about someone who has been redeemed, here's why we need to be careful what we say. I understand if someone trusts Christ as their Savior, there are things that that person, if they're wrong, things wrong in their life, they need to get rid of because they're supposed to be a new creation, a new creature. At the same time, the tense of this is saying this, God says they're a new creation and a new creature. That's who they are. That's who God is saying that they are. If they trust your Christ as their Savior, they are a new creature, a new creation. If someone's been redeemed by Christ, if they are a new creature, a new creation, who are you and I to continue to hold their past against them? If God has reconciled them to himself, to his divine favor, no matter who they used to be, no matter what they used to do, who are you and I to still gossip about and talk about and condemn people who God has reconciled to himself? Because if God has reconciled them to himself, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter what my opinion of them is and what your opinion through the cross, I reconciled that person to myself. Now, is there an obligation for them to try and live a, a Christian life, live the way God wants them to? Sure, there is. But hey, there's a huge obligation on our behalf here. If that person's a believer, we view them as a new creation. God's called us to a ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. God, God's called us to give a message of reconciliation, not to give a message of condemnation to people that he's leading uh, his small group through. And guys, I, I think what, what he's saying in the book that they've been going through is very valid, and that is simply this. A lot of believers sit around, locked up, sealing their past, and they don't realize that Jesus has set them free. So that's why they're not doing the things that God tells us to do, because you're still locked up in your past. God doesn't want you locked up in your past. You're a new creation. You're, you're a new cre creation. You're a new creature. All the old things have passed away. All things have become new. Live like all things have become new. Amen? Quit, quit allowing the devil to come around and point out your past because as far as God is concerned, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Last theme I want you to see this morning is this, and it's found in verse 20 through 21. There's a primary ministry that we've been given to serve God and others with. Verse 20 through 21 says this, Therefore, we're now ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Paul says, therefore, that means here in the, the Greek text, everything he's just said, everything we just talked about. Because of everything he's just talked about, he said, therefore, 
We, talking about believers, talking about Christians, talking about himself. We as Christians are ambassadors to Christ. The, the word ambassador literally means in the Greek, a senior representative of Christ. So it's, it's kind of like this, guys. If you've got a, a senior representative in a law firm, that's an important individual, right? If you've got a senior representative for government, that's an important individual. And, and he uses the word ambassador here, someone that's a senior representative of Christ. Now, we've talked about this something before in the past, but you understand what an ambassador is. An ambassador is someone who has been chosen by his country, by his government leader, to go and represent his home government in a foreign country. And when he goes to represent his home government in a foreign country, the ambassador goes and he takes the message that he's been given by his own government to share. He's accountable to share what he's been given by his own government. If we send an ambassador overseas from the United States, that person is to go over there and represent not himself, but he's there to represent the government of the United States of America. And he's there. He can't just go and make it up as he goes. He's there to communicate the message that he's been given by our president. That's what he's supposed to do as an ambassador. Well, guys, apply that to us. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. We are to be representing the kingdom of God in a foreign world that doesn't understand the purposes and the plans of God. We're in a lost world, and you and I are to be representatives, ambassadors for him. And we're supposed to live for him and share what he tells us to share, say what he tells us to say, live the way he tells us to live our lives. Because we're representing our government which isn't this world, it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of Christ. That's what we're to represent in this world. You know what our problem is when we talk about serving? Because when I gave you the title this morning, some of you probably thought, oh, he's going to be asking me to teach in Sunday school or lead a small group or be a greeter or be involved in the worship ministry or help lead a small group. And, and, and guys, all that is serving. But here's my point. When you hear in church something about service, you know what your mind probably typically goes to? Serving here on Sunday morning. Now, that's part of it. But that falls way short of what Paul's talking about. Because you and I are not just to serve Christ on Sunday morning here, and then we go live our lives in some carpentum, like we've got different compartments where we put this part of our life is on Sunday morning, this part of our life is the rest of the week. We're not supposed to compartmentalize our, our life like that. Instead, here's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to view ourselves as ambassador for Christ wherever we are, wherever, whatever we're doing. You're not just serving Jesus here on Sunday morning. That's part of it. And if you're not serving Jesus in some way and you realize you need to, talk to Daryl or me or John, and we'll try and help you find a way to serve. But here's the point I want you to get. We're not talking about Sunday morning. We're talking about this. You and I are to be ambassadors, representatives for Christ, senior representatives for Christ, wherever we are. Wherever we are. That's what's involved in serving Christ. That's what's involved in, in, in serving others and reaching others the way we should reach them. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. 
And that means this, God is making his appeal literally through our lives. And, and here's the message, here's the appeal that we're supposed to give to others. We implore you, we beg you, is what the word means. We're, 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 we're asking you as much as we can. We're, we're asking you in a way that ties ourselves to it. It is the flavor of the word that's used there. We, we're asking you to please, please, please be reconciled to God. Because here's why you ought to be reconciled to God. Here's why we ought to be sharing that message. Here's why our primary ministry as believers is to share the gospel with others and to represent Christ and implore them, beg them to be reconciled, to be brought back together with God. Because here's what he did. For our sake, he, talking about God the Father, made him God the Son to be sin. In the way this reads in the Greek is this, who absolutely knew no sin. So that in him, in a permanent position, by being in him by faith, if you trust Christ as your Savior, you are in him in a permanent position. So that in him, we might become the very righteousness of God. God wants you to be an ambassador because he wants to make his appeal through you and he wants you to be begging people and imploring people, binding yourself to it. It's even though you're praying, hey, will you please, please, please trust Christ as your Savior? I'm binding myself to this request. I'm trying my best to reach you. I'm going to try my best to share the gospel with you. Please be reconciled to God because here's what he did for us, for our sake. Over us, literally over us, he, God the Father, made him God the Son to be sin who absolutely knew no sin, so that in him, in a fixed position in Christ, we might be made or generated into the very righteousness of God. In other words, as we trust Christ as our Savior, God gives us his very own character. God's best is found through serving others. We ought to have an extreme motivation to serve others because we want to please God. Because there's this thing called the judgment seat that we're going to have to give an account for what we've done and what we've not done on our works. We ought to be extremely motivated to serve God and to serve others because of the fear of Him. And we ought to do it because God calls us to persuade others. That ought to be an extreme motivation in your life and in my life, to persuade others of the truth of the gospel. We need to have the right view of people. We need to love people and be constrained by the love of Christ. That ought to be motivating and controlling our lives. We ought to view people in the correct way. Understand the View them as someone that Jesus died for, whether they're lost or whether they're redeemed. And if they're redeemed, quit holding the past against them. Quit holding the past against yourself if you know you've been redeemed. Because the primary, the primary, the primary way of serving him is to be his ambassador, sharing his message to a lost and dying world. That doctrine of imputation, I didn't say a lot about it, but it's a good thing to close with. <laughs> what Paul is saying is this. God took all of our sin, the sin of all mankind, and when Jesus was on the cross, he imputed it to Jesus. Made it as though it was his, even though he didn't know any sin. 
So that through faith in him, he now imputes to us the very divine righteousness of God. I preached that a few months ago, and you probably heard me say this then, but that's the greatest trade in all history. Amen? Some of you think you got a good trade in your car. They just made you think that at the dealership. Some of you think you got a good deal in your house. Some of you maybe have traded items before back and forth, and you think, man, I got a really good deal. Well, here's the greatest deal of all time. Jesus took your sin, and he will trade with you and give you his righteousness if you trust him. And when he does that, we need to go forth and be his ambassadors, his representatives, and serve him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we don't represent you well. Forgive us when we fail to please you. When we fail to fear you. Forgive us when we put out of our mind this thing called the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll have to stand and give an account of the way we've lived our lives. Not our sin. Jesus dealt with that on the cross. We praise you for that this morning. Father, we thank you for that, that, that Jesus fully dealt with our sin. Well, Lord, you're concerned about how we live. You're concerned about whether or not we have works that are beneficial or works that are worthless. Father, I pray you you inspire us this morning to do more to serve you. I pray, Father, you help us to be controlled, to help us be under the siege of your love, to help us to be constrained by your love, to where we, we have to serve you, we have to serve others. Father, help us to view other people the way you view them. As someone precious that Jesus died for. And because of that, God, move us to be your ambassadors. God, in light of what Jesus has done for us, help us to be your ambassadors. Help us to represent you well. Help us to represent your kingdom well in this lost world, this foreign world. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe today you are feeling like, I'm not really sure of Jesus like I should. You don't know why I think maybe you're feeling like that? Because I feel like that a lot of times. So this morning is the time to really think about that. And right now during this invitation time, whether it be here at the front and you praying or standing right where you are and saying, God, I'm sorry I'm not represented you well. I'm sorry I've not served you well. I'm sorry I've not served others well. I'm sorry I've not been persuading others in light of the terror of the Lord. I've not been persuading them in light of the coming judgment that they'll face. I've not been persuading them as I should with the gospel. Well, why not just volunteer during this invitation time because you already belong to Him. You're not your own. He bought you. He paid for you. Why not just tell Jesus during this time, God, I want to serve you more. I want to serve you better. 
I want to be your representative wherever I live my life. Please stand. God speaks to you. We invite you to come. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.